up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is Mr. Kevin Christie. He's a artist, comedian, and actor. Um, I first became familiar with his work as an artist and illustrator, um, probably the the early two thousands. The two, it's so weird to say the two thousands. You can't say the O's, the Ots, the Ot Ots. Sounds German. Um, so, and then later on, I, I became familiar with his comedy work. Uh, I guess through the comedy store in La Jolla, and then maybe um, through the Death Squad comedians. Uh, he does all the, the poster work for Ari's storyteller shows. He always does the illustrations for those. Um, so, I was lucky enough to have him call in and, and do a little chat. We talk comedy beef, fake Twitter followers, Hunter Moore, the laziest parts of ourselves, show business, the Clayton Brothers, art directors, art center, learning to learn, watching life, comedy clubs, Mark Marin, Coop, Ed Templeton, and skateboarding. Um, so, as always, make sure you go check out MikeMaxwellArt.com. You can click on the podcast link there. It'll take you to the sort of homepage where... You can get all the information on all the people who have been on the show. You can also click on the donate button over there. I believe the donate button's on that site too. Um, you can click the iTunes icon up in the corner if you want to go right to iTunes. Uh, and there's some other. I think the Facebook and the Twitters is on there too. Make sure you go follow those at, uh, at Live Free Podcast. Um, you can follow me at Mike Maxwell Art uh, for Twitter and Instagram and. Facebook and all of that. Make sure you go follow the podcast one. I want to get some more followers on there just because it seems more important. Maybe we'll get some sponsors to make this thing uh, be a little bit more monetized. I want to thank everyone who has donated to the show. Um, Your support is very much appreciated. Even if I don't get time to respond to all of you, um, I want you to know that it's, it's all very much appreciated and I thank you very much. If you want to get some of my artwork, maybe you don't want to donate, but you want to buy some some actual art, you could do that, uh, like I said, through MikeMaxwellArt.com. Just click on the shop. It'll take you over to the Big Cartel page. There's some t-shirts uh, for the Live Free Never Die brand. Um, you can get original art. Some paintings are up over there. Some that are expensive and some that are affordable. Uh, there's also some prints uh, especially for all the Death Squad listeners. Uh, there's a bunch of Death Squad stuff that I've been working on over the last year that's available over there. Uh, so make sure you go do that. Go and... That sounded demanding. Uh, if you want, go over to the iTunes store, search Mike Maxwell or the Live Free podcast, and subscribe to the show. When you subscribe, all the shows show up directly in your iTunes, and you don't have to go find specific shows. Make sure you download them, and if you are interested, you can comment and rate, put some stars. It uh, it affects the, the iTunes ratings, and for some reason that validates what we do. Um, so if you do that, that'd be awesome, and follow the Twitter and the Facebooks and instagrams so uh, i think with all that marketing done that is marketing designed to make you go spend money it's so weird to do it in the 
It almost seems backhanded, but that's what I need you to do so that I can keep making stuff. So, uh, with all that said, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Kevin Christie. I take two. Here's Kevin. Kevin Christie. What up, dude? What's up, brother? How are you? I'm good. Good. Hey, thanks for taking the time to shoot the shit with me, dude. I appreciate it. No problem. Glad to do it. Uh, I think uh, you and I met uh, at an ice house, I think. Probably. Beginning yeah, of, I think that's where we met. The beginning of last year. I, I just went back to go look and see if I could figure out which one it was. And... Uh, it was that Dane Cook episode. Yeah. He came in, he had some sort of comedy beef with some other comedian about... It was, uh... I can't remember the dude's name. But the dude basically, like, live-tweeted shit-talking him during his set at the Laugh Factory. Yeah, dude. Why is there so much comedy beef? It's like hip-hop. No, man. I think it's so dumb. <laughs> like, my, one of my goals is to never have, a, like, a comedy rival or, like, a comedy enemy. I mean, it's, it seems it's so dumb to me. It, it seems like we would see it more often in other places, but it's, it's almost like it has, like, these weird beefs, like, they come from being in some of the same environments all the time. Do you, like, I was trying to relate it to art, like, trying to figure out if there's as many art beefs, but I guess there's, I like, graffiti beefs. I think beef. there is. Like, there was some, I don't remember who it was, there was some huge beef between, like, an art forum writer and Huffington Post. I think it's just, it's the kind, wherever, it happens to, it seems to be in the kind of industries where people like to blog. So yeah. there's like comment sections and shit, like it's just, I think it's it's, it's just gossipy too. I wonder if, I wonder if a, a, an economist could look at it and, and look at the rise in beefs based upon when blogs became more popular. Oh, dude, the internet is a petri dish for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, if, without the internet, you have, like, a, I would think you'd have, like, a tenth of that. Yeah. It's just it's so much easier. It's, a, like, a thousand times easier. You see something that happened, you can literally be on your phone be feeling like you're a part of the discussion in, like, ten seconds. And it's almost like there's a... Uh, uh, like, a, there's a lack of consequence sometimes. Oh, there's no accountability. That's why no one... I remember some guy on Twitter was like, you have such a boring Twitter name. I was like, it's my name. <laughs> but everyone would rather be like Flip Flap 1494 so they can, like, talk shit. And you can't, you know, you go to their... Like, when people say stuff to me, you click on their little picture, and it's like a picture of a dog, and it's not their name. And you're like, oh, pretty brave over here with the with the negative comments. It's like, I, it's my picture, and it, that's my name. I don't have, like, a other name. Yeah, there's no accountability. That's, I was be completely anonymous. I was looking through my followers today because for no apparent reason, and I was thinking that all the ones that had, like, weird numbers or letters at the end of it, they have to just be, like, fake accounts. A lot of them. I mean, when you know that, or like a super hot girl. When I get a follower, it's just a picture of an ass with a lot of numbers. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you don't exist. Have you seen this Hunter Moore character on Twitter? No. Uh-huh. Apparently, it's this dude that just has girls sending him tits and ass photos all day, every day. Yeah, it's, it's it, and apparently what's what the big draw is is that it seems to be like 
average, not average, but like middle America, like regular girls that are hot. Yeah. I don't know. I followed him for a second, but it was just, it was too much retweeting of ass, you know? Like if I, I look at my Twitter it or. feel bad. Like I, there was a site that was called like girls taking pictures with, of themselves with their phone or like girls in mirrors with their phone. Right. And at first you're like, dude, this is hot as hell. And then you're like, wait a minute. How long have I been looking at this? Like I'm, <laughs> yeah. on, I'm on page 1400. You just feel you're like, wait a minute. It's, it's, it's midnight. I got here at three in the afternoon. Well, you know, what I always think about too is like depending on which like Twitter accounts I'm looking at or like which picture I'm going to look at on Instagram. Like if I'm in line at Starbucks, I just always feel like somebody's looking over my shoulder and is judging me somehow. Your your phone and the internet it's just like an incubator for like the worst parts of you, basically, <laughs> like the meanest, the perviest, just like the laziest parts of you. You can convince yourself you're doing something on your phone or on your computer. I've, I've spent a day looking at tumblers and be like, oh, I was doing research for art. You know, maybe I'll get inspired. I no, feel like I that's a good excuse. And just looked at other people's photos. You don't think that excuse flies? It's just kind of bullshit. I mean, it flies to a certain extent, but how, how much time did I spend looking at, like, basically, the, there's like 10 types of tumblers. So eventually you're like, it's a girl's ass, a picture of a Leica camera, some graffiti, a tattoo, another girl's ass. <laughs> some interesting art. I mean, it's like, it's pretty similar. And you get this, you start, you're on so many of them, you start to see the same picture. You know, there's like a popular drawing or whatever. Yeah. It's like, why don't I just turn this off and go make a drawing? Yeah. Th- I'll, it's I'll probably feel the... way better after I do that than after I looked at this for an hour. There's something about that, that artistic mind that wants to find all those patterns, though. Like, being able to find the repetitive pattern is kind of like a game in and of itself, no? Yeah, you totally know. You're like, okay, people are kind of onto this thing right now. Like, the, you know, even like the most mundane thing, like like a, a picture of a girl or a picture of like, you know, the woods or whatever, you see it on like four or five different websites. You're like, huh, this picture is sort of striking a chord with people. Like, what is that? I, when I see that stuff, I'm like, all right, I should avoid that. <laughs> because then <laughs> yeah. like a ton of people are going to be onto that thing. And you look at it, it's been like reblogged 1,200 times. You're like, all right, stay away from that. That's going to be a thing. You know like what? I'm I, gonna notice that happening. Do you have any predictions on what's a thing? I have one. For example, uh, I think that um, t-shirts with the cigarette pocket on the front, like the front lapel pocket, are going right. to be popular. Oh, dude, I've seen that coming for a year. I've been trying to get Ed Templeton to make a toy machine shirt with a pocket for like a year and a half. <laughs> see, I'm probably I see I'm behind already, but dude, I told him I had the I, my. I think my idea is so good. I'm like, dude, put toy machine logo and then the surgeon general warning on the pocket yeah that's hilarious because that's exact that's hilarious that's exactly what i was thinking about because like in high school i used to wear like cigarette brand shirts just to be rebellious like i was being like against the rules somehow or whatever but i also i have to i don't there's something weird about wearing a shirt without at least one pocket like you know like there's something about i don't trust somebody you don't have a pen (laughs) There's nothing in your life you need to put in a pocket. Like, you're not, it's weird. I love a shirt with a pocket. And, but you don't see it on t-shirts anymore. Not since, like, well, you, cigarettes. Honestly, I am constantly on the lookout for good pocket tees. They are so hard to find. That's You'd hilarious. be shocked. i pay for them if they're good, because they are really hard to find. Should we start a business right now? Just t-shirts with I pockets? Feel like, I feel like we're competing with China. 
that's, yeah. that's a battle we're going to lose. Yeah, we got to work with them. I think that's. Well, we got to work with China. So, um, going back, I, I realized the first time that I had started to see your work was, and I mean, you do a lot of different things. You're an artist. You do stand up and you act. Um, yeah. But I think the Broken Wrist Project book. Yeah. They came out. I guess what, that was late nineties. Yeah. I think that first book came out about 2001. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day. And that the the one with the with the old lady with the eye patch or her eyes were kind of yeah. fucked up like a pen drawing. Yeah. I yeah. remember that book came through. I was working for this design firm and that that book came through. And I was lucky enough like this firm got all like the cool books and all the cool magazines and everything just showed up there. Yeah. And uh but I I didn't realize till now that um, you know, I had made the connection with some of your work later on, like some of your gallery stuff, but yeah. I'm just now making the connections to all the different things that I've seen, minus how I've sort of got to become familiar with your work through comedy, too. Right. Um, what You started off, art was the first gig for you, no? Yeah, I mean, I started getting into, I guess you'd call it show business in college when I was at Art Center. Yeah. And I just sort of, like, I went to a Clayton Brothers art show at like it was a wacko on on Hollywood or whatever way a long time like like 1998 yeah and they were they for some reason Miller Genuine Draft was making a commercial about the Clayton Brothers how weird they made like a beer commercial they they had had all these commercials about like like scenes just basically like subcultures and you went there I was there just to do the show and you signed this thing like they're gonna film you or whatever and they used me in the commercial and I got like $4,000 which at the time was like a million yeah, so I was sure. broke as hell. I was in art school. You know, I needed money. I was going to have to take a semester off just to, like, save up money for supplies. And so this, that, like, kept me in school for, like, without having to take a semester off. And so then a friend of mine who was an actor was, like, going to an audition. We were going to go, like, I don't know, go to, like, a shitty driving range or something. And he was like, oh, I have to go to this audition. And so we stopped there, and the dude, the casting director, was like, hey, man, do you want to... Have you ever acted? And my friend was like, oh, he just did a commercial. And so he's like, do you want to audition for this? And he had both of us go in, and we both, they cast us both. And then my friend's agent was like, hey, if you want to do commercials, I will represent you. And I was like, well, I'm in school and I'm really busy, so let me think about it. And I, you know, after a few months, I was like, well, I can sort of just do this and say no to the auditions or say yes, and I need the money really bad. Yeah. So I just started going to them, and I just, at the time, I was the only actor that had, like, black horn-rim glasses. Like, the <laughs> actors hadn't caught up to that style yet, where, like, everyone in art school, that's what everyone looked like. We yeah. all sort of looked the same. Right. And so, like, I, well, they wanted, like, art directors who had just, like, gotten out of art school and, like, had people who were like, oh, that's cool. Because I would get all these jobs in the beginning, just not even talking, just standing there looking skinny and with glasses. And that's how I just started sort of acting. I'd always wanted to be a comedian, but I didn't really know how that whole time. Like, I was just, like, during that time, I was sort of just writing jokes and, like, recording them. And I, like, I always had, like, a little recorder. I would record jokes into it, but I never did anything with them. Yeah. I just had this, like, tape, the tapes of bits, you know? Yeah. Did I... I never met a comedian, so I didn't really understand how it worked at all. Yeah, so there wasn't any connection. Like, I was wondering if within Art Center there was any type of, like, performance art or, like, things. There was. There was performance art, but it was never funny, ever. Yeah. (laughs) It was just, like, you know, people 
lighting love letters on fire or something like that. Yeah, like weird conceptual shit. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I was wondering. I wondered if there was any like connection to like theater or you know like any sort of. Uh... Well, like a little bit in art school, like a few times, like photo students would have model for them. Uh-huh. Like I'd get pulled into like a photography class for the day, and they'd pay you like seventy bucks, and you would just be there in class, and any one of the photographers could use you as their model. You just sit there all day. You get seventy dollars, and then they could shoot you. Right. And so that was the first indication where, like, I, I was like, "Huh, seems like the way I look is sort of usable in some way that I, like fit into like a category." Yeah. And so that was what I was like, because I didn't understand what like being a character actor was or any of that shit. I thought you had to like be really good looking to be on, you know, on television or whatever. And you know, me and my friends when I was really young in high school, always. I wanted to be on, like, like I loved Saturday Night Live. I was a big, like, joke regurgitator. Like, I would just learn other people's stand-up and then regurgitate it at school or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I didn't understand, like, I thought just anyone in show business had to be really attractive. So I was like, oh, I can't. <laughs> That's not me. So I'm just going to, I'll just go to art school, you know. And I've been, you know, I loved art school more than anything. It was, like, the best time of my life. You grew up in Los Angeles, too, right? So you were kind of in yeah. that environment already? You know? I mean, I grew up in La Crescenta, which was sort of, I mean, you like, I knew like a couple kids that wanted to be actors, but the way I got legitimately exposed to it is I, I was friends with these dudes that were in this band called Eve Six, and they got kind of big in the late 90s and had like a, like an actual, a couple hit songs, and like, I was always around when they would do videos and stuff. And that's how I met my, like, first art director and started working in, like, the record industry a little bit. But also that's how I met the guy, a guy that would eventually become my manager. That so was just always on their video sets, just making people laugh and just kind of being, a, you know, a jerk or whatever. Yeah. And <laughs> he just kind of was like, what do you do? Like, you're always here. I don't know what it is you do. And he was, like, one time he saw me on television. He was like, I saw you on television. What do you do? I was like, I'm in art school. He's like, but well, you've done commercials. And I'm like, yeah, I do. I've been started doing commercials. And he was like, would you come meet with me? Just come to my office on Monday. And I, you know, I didn't know anything. So I just met with him. And he was like, you want to do stuff? I'm like, fuck yeah, I'll do. You know, I, I've never, I don't say no to like something that may be interesting. I've never been like, because in my head, it's like, oh, if it doesn't go well, I'll just stop. Yeah, right. So I was always like, yeah, dude, fuck it. I'll go, I'll go try to like, be in a movie or whatever, be on television. Yeah, why not? Like, do you have that sort of, like, what do I have to lose type of mentality? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's like, I, I, like early on when I would audition, my attitude was like, I'm never going to see you people again. <laughs> yeah. So if I totally shit the bed in here, like, you know, and I was just, it made me kind of relaxed, and then it, so I could just try to be funny. I wasn't like, I wasn't super scared of it, because it didn't, I just thought of it like real mathematically. I'll never see these people again. So if I totally screw up, like they're not going to hire me, and I'll never see them again. So there's like you're going to tell my family and friends that I came in there and sucked. Yeah, just shame you on the internet or something. Yeah, there wasn't those days. There wasn't that time. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got you get to art center. Do you have like future thoughts of like gallery work? Do you do you see yourself? Did you see yourself going into illustration? Did you have a sort of a guided path or were you just making things? You were you just When creating? I first went to Art Center, I was really 
focused on illustration primarily and almost more like figurative painting not in the gallery sense but just like I thought I was going to be like a pretty strict representational illustrator and I, I wanted to do magazine articles and album covers like that was the coolest thing yeah. you could do and it still kind of is no? it totally is yeah. but there's just none of it left basically yeah, or very do. little but and then during that time you know I was pretty underexposed to art as far as like what I was aware of uh-huh. and I just got exposed to like just you know there, there was great people teaching there at the time still are but and so I just started to go to these things and learn about different art and these artists and you know it was a, it was a time when like illustration was changing and a lot of illustrators were just kind of making their own stuff also and so that's what I was like oh I can just make whatever I want and then people will kind of come to me for that stuff so we were all just it was you know the artists that were around at school with me it was like me Jeff Soto Taylor McKimmons people like that you know the Clayton brothers were teachers and, and this yeah. guy Jason Holly who are you know you just worship these guys and we were all just kind of like making stuff is you know we're all really thrilled to be there so we're all trying really hard and just making tons of shit all the time and then all these little like shows would pop up these little gallery shows and Taylor McKinnon started putting people on little shows and organizing shows and it just became this thing I was like oh I can it, just, it became like kind of possible intellectually yeah. like oh I, I can make things so then towards the end of school I started just more focused on being in galleries Right. And like having shows and like doing work, doing illustration work here and there, but trying to stick to people I knew who I could work with and people, that, you know, things I really liked doing. And did you find that to be more enjoyable, like as opposed to like having a director, like it's, you know, somebody art directing you, just being able to be your own art director? Yeah, I mean, even, it, it's either that or I like, I've never had great luck with art directors I don't know because there's just a not, there's always a little bit of a disconnect. Yeah. So I try to work with, there's like, few art directors I've worked with repeatedly or I just you know I just don't do it <laughs> I mean I'm a I'm a big fan of saying no to stuff because it's never even if it's okay money you, it always ends up being just like torturous because you're not doing what you like and they don't you've not worked with them so they don't get how you work and there's just the, you don't communicate well it's never their fault it's not like it's not like they're a shitty art director yeah you just yeah. don't have a rapport with them they don't really have a sense of what you're good at or what you're yeah. So they almost How you always end up being over art directed and it's it's confusing mess and by the end you're just exhausted and don't like what you did. Yeah, it's it's if I find that to be the truth more often than not. And if you're not excited about what you're doing, you're not gonna come out that great. I mean when you're excited you just work so much harder because you're like, This is gonna be I'm gonna make this great. I'm gonna try to make this so rad. And then it comes out that way, you try your ass off, you just you don't even notice that you've been up all night or something. Because yeah, you're seriously. like, dude, I'm going to try to make this so kick-ass because I like the idea. And it just always comes out better. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, uh, there's been times for me where I've charged, like, three times as much money just because I knew it was going to be a pain in the ass and I had to yeah. justify it. Yeah. It's... Yeah, you always throw out that price. You're like, all right, I want this. And then they say yes. You're like, oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, here we go. Yeah, totally. The next 10 days of my life. Uh, you, speaking of Art Center, too, Alex Gross, who I've been trying to get on the show. Uh, yeah, he, I had him as a teacher. Yeah, how how was it wor- uh, learning under that guy? I like that dude. He, the thing about him was he was really into what the students were doing at the time. Like, he was definitely a teacher, and, like, 
you know, was like, uh, you know, he was older than us and had done a ton of stuff, but he was also really psyched on what this, what was happening at Art Center at that time. Yeah. I didn't realize it until after the fact, but like, there was a core group of pretty great people all at once when I was there. Like, I, I talked to the Clayton brothers about this, and they were like, yeah, there was a chunk of you who kind of showed up at the same time. And, I mean, Jeff was already getting in, Jeff Soto was already getting in magazines before he graduated, so was this dude Simon Chow. Yeah. Taylor McKibben's work was crazy good. And so it was just this kind of really fun time where, you know, Martha Rich was there being rad. And just a lot of people were trying really hard and being pretty interesting. So, like, he was just, like, just really encouraging. Like, yeah, work, just try really hard. You guys are you guys are doing something good. And But he was good at, like, steering, uh, steering me towards, like, a thing. Like, have you looked at this person or have you looked at this person? Like, based on what you're doing now, you might like this. You know? Yeah. So it was a very just like do whatever you want. I had him towards the end, like right before I graduated. Yeah. So I was like, you know, he was like, dude, what do you want to do? It was more like an independent study in the class I had with him. That's what kind of happens, right? In in art schools, or it's the beginning is really about getting that money, and then the students that make it that far, it's just sort of guiding them where they're going. The beginning is just it's like boot campish. You just yeah. do a bunch of like really meticulous like boring kind of work that weeds out the week. So it's yeah. like, you have a class really, you're going to paint 2,000 swatches or 5,000 swatches. You're going to do 2,000 figure drawing. And it's just that stuff where it's like, you're going you're gonna to get these skills no matter what, and then you can choose to use them or not towards the end. Yeah. And then the last half is about like, what do you think you want to do? The trouble with art school is you kind of go through it so fast that you don't get it, you're, all of a sudden you're done, you're like, I don't know what I like. Because <laughs> you've been exposed to all this stuff all at once. Like, I had a teacher that told me something really smart. She was like, what you learn in art school is how to learn. Yeah. Because yeah. once you're out, you have, you know, towards the end, it's so dumb, towards the end, you're like, I gotta get my portfolio done, I gotta get my portfolio done. And this one teacher was like, you know, the day you graduate, you can take as much time as you need. Like, it's, yeah, like a, like a fake race that starts right then. Yeah, like no one's waiting. There's no art director. Like, if this portfolio is not done by graduation day, I will straight up never hire you. Yeah. Like it's that you get. It's sort of. It's it, you're kind of in a bubble, but you're underexposed. I mean, at least that's how I found it. The, the the one thing about our center where it is, how it's kind of hidden in Pasadena, is you're a little underexposed. At least then, I mean, it might be different now, but you were a little underexposed to what was happening in the art world. You kind of just were looking at what your friends were doing in like a handful of magazines and books. That's why, I mean, at the time you saw a lot of people ripping off the Clayton Brothers and a lot of people ripping, I mean, like after Jeff Soto left, there was like a cottage industry of Jeff Soto artists. Yeah. Well, I think the, know, Clayton Brothers I mean, have, the Clayton Brothers have for sure influenced a, a large generation oh, of people dude, directly in A large generation. It, it, I, I noticed that you saw a lot of people, I remember being in school telling myself, like, do not rip off the Clayton brothers. Like, you'd have to, because they would, you know, you'd have a class with them or an independent study, and they'd be like, oh, check out this book, check out this book. Well, it'd be all the books they love. So you'd be looking at old Tattoo Flash, you know, like, stuff like that, and you'd yeah. be, like, influenced by it. But, I, you know, you had to tell yourself, like, there were certain teachers that I thought were so good that I had to, like, okay, do not, like, it's okay to like these people, but don't rip them off. Yeah. I had one teacher that I didn't really like, but he said one thing really smart. He was like, if you love Vermeer, that doesn't mean you have to paint like Vermeer. 
figure out what you love about him. And then, like, like I love Barry McGee, okay? I think he's rad. But I don't, that doesn't mean I want to draw like Barry McGee, because I'll just look like a ripoff. But, right. like, what do I, figure out what I like about him. I like his use of color. I like his line quality. So it's like, figure out my own line quality. Figure out my own use of color. But a lot of people just are like, that's rad. I want to make that. And they start sort of drawing that way. Yeah, sure. And and that's, a lot, I think, a big problem in art school, too. Like, it's the thing that, you know, if you're being taught something, or even if you're as, as a teacher, if you're if you're teaching what you know, you're you're sort of passing on not your style, but like the techniques maybe that you know. Yeah, I, I you're think, passing on your you're kind of passing on your own sense of what you think is cool. And the students, you're younger than these people. You revere them. I mean, you know, I'm 23 years old, and I'm in a, you know Rob Clayton's my teacher, and I'm just like, you're so fucking cool, dude. <laughs> so he's like, this is cool, and you're like, yeah, man, that's cool. Just because you think that guy's the shit. Yeah. And so you kind of have it's it, you have to be careful. You have to be like, okay, what do I actually think is cool? And it's hard at, at that age too. It's hard to I find I I would you know people are still kids, and their minds are yeah. still malleable. You know, we see how how pop how pop culture influences teens all the way up through even through adults you know at that age you're so malleable i guess is it well yeah i mean i would see people's style change from semester to semester like i there was a point at art center i was about maybe three quarters of the way through and for when you put up your work for to try to get a scholarship you have to hang your work and then they'd walk around and basically give you a score like it wasn't based on grades it was based on the score you got from like a handful of teachers that would grade whatever like 10 paintings you put up yeah, and I had like a really good semester. Where I made it some stuff that people seemed to like, and I got a scholarship. Well, the next semester, some dude just ripped me off completely, and it really freaked me out. I didn't know what to do. I was like, "Do I keep doing this stuff, or like, is it? Does that mean I need to like change and like evolve? Like, the, if it's that easy to rip off, I feel like I should like do something else." Yeah, but at the same time, it's like this shit doesn't matter. Like, no one's gonna remember this work. I'm a kid. This work isn't going to matter. It's like, I was talking to Rogan years, this is years and years and years ago. We were just talking about stand-up, and I was like, you know, talking about material. He's like, yeah, if you're still telling a joke you wrote in your first year, in year two, you're awful. Like, those jokes will not matter. Like, the stuff you're making in school that you think is so important isn't going to matter in three, four years, because it's the shit you did in school. Because you, you're just, you're so inundated by so much, you don't have time to digest it all at the time. Because yeah. you're trying so hard to come up, you're trying really hard to be cool and come up with a cool style and make cool work, but you're you're being influenced by you know seven professors at a time that are like this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't you don't really have time to be like, okay, what? But what do I love? Like, what do what am I into? So what what was your process then from there? Like after sort of gaining all of that insight and and. Uh, technical abilities what uh I mean a lot of you know I noticed a lot of us you kind of start throwing away all the technical stuff you're like alright I, I kind of see what people are doing you like technical skill but you see a lot of people that are only about technical skill uh-huh. so it's like the work's kind of boring kind of con- it's just conceptually empty uh-huh. so you, you start trying to get a little I specifically start to try to get a little more conceptual and start thinking about like making fine art and what you know I wanted to make stuff that people would want to look at for more than a couple minutes it's 
like I wanted to make it something they would want to look at for a long period of time and be like, what is this about? And try to figure it out and make it, you know, try to make it layered as far as its concept, maybe make yeah. it a little, like, ambiguous so they have to think about it a little more. Well, that's something that I've noticed. Like, I think um, for the personal work that you've done, there's, like, this sense of there's almost a, a collage aspect to it in that it, it seems like you put a lot of things not a lot of things but you put things together that don't seem to go together but you make it aesthetically work um like you know like two what i mean is that like two objects that wouldn't normally be presented together maybe are in in your in this little world that you're creating um is some of that what's do you have some specific type of concepts behind any of that sort of idea I mean, a lot of the stuff, it, it has, a lot of what I am trying to deal with now has a lot to do with, like, memory and kind of, I'm really interested in, like, the way past events affect your ability to, like, negotiate life. Yeah. Like, I'm constantly noticing that, like, these tiny little objects or visual things trigger, they trigger memories, you know, in your day-to-day life, and it, it's odd the kind of things that maybe you find painful. Yeah. Like the time, you, you know, things trigger like emotional reactions, and you don't really see them coming. So it's like I, I just view things differently based on maybe things that have happened to me in my life. Like just the way I'll look at like I don't know windows or snow or the moon or just objects. But like based on things you've gone through, they just change. And like that's what I find interesting. And a lot of times I'll start with like one object in a piece, and, and I'll draw it, and it'll be there, and then I'll just start. I'll just kind of stare at it for a long period of time and let my mind kind of wander to other places and see what that first object triggers. Isn't and then that... I start to try to think about, like, what, why did that trigger that? Like, where did, why did I go there? Why did I free associate to the next object, you know? It's weird. I uh, think a lot of people don't get that process. And, and I notice myself sometimes just staring at things for a few days and not yeah. really knowing why I'm staring at it. But just staring at a piece that's in the middle of its process, it yeah. seems like almost a, like you kind of have to do that sometimes. I, I'm sure not for everybody, but for me, there's moments like in the middle of a of a piece that you just kind of got to sit there and let it tell you something somehow. And I know it sounds sure. kind of hokey. I mean, hokey. that's how I know I'm done is I forget I did it. I'm like, oh yeah, I have to see it. Like I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, that one. I don't fucking remember it. Yeah. But, like, I, the ones that aren't done, I think they're in my head all the time. I'm, like, thinking about them, like, why isn't that done? Why can't I figure out why that's done? Yeah. But I think, sure. like, you know, and that's what I want. I want people who would look at it or, if in theory, want to buy it or whatever, or see it in the gallery, I want them to look at it. And I want their mind to free associate and, like, find their own thing behind it. I'm not super interested in, like, as far as, like, personal work. Yeah. I'm not super interested in, like, people like getting a, a succinct like one liner of a thing sure that to me is not interesting if you're gonna have something and look at it for a long time I don't, it's not fun to get it right away yeah to me it's more cause, like there's that Jason Holly was a teacher I had at Art Center who probably my favorite teacher dude was just like on another level and he he was like you know doing an illustration is like a conversation whereas personal works almost like a like writing in a diary or something yeah like don't necessarily want to have all the lines connected it's more interesting to wonder about stuff yeah sure that's like and you know you, that extension too like that you're talking about like 
if I think about music a lot, if uh, like there's certain songs that I'll be finding new little pieces about it that like all of a sudden it's like a, a, a lyric in a song that you hadn't really noticed for 10 yeah. years or something. And it was like, wait, you know, you, whether it's personal experience that makes you relate to it, but there's those things that extend the life of an image or a sound. Yeah, that's what, I mean, no one, that's why you still, people still talk about, like, the Beatles or whatever, because their songs were strange, some of them, and, and they're still worth investigating. Like, no one, no one needs to figure out what Baby Got Back means, if you know it. <laughs> you know, that lyric is, that, I like that song, but, like, you get it right away. That's, like, you know, music like that, you know what that music's about. You're not going to investigate it. You're not going to, like, try to be like, what were they mean? Like, where's, like, a fucking, some weird Radiohead song that you, you know, haven't listened to in a while. You turn it on. It's like, you know, every time I get, like, a new thing that plays music that's better quality, I hear something I didn't hear before because I had, like, a shitty stereo. Yeah, for sure. Like, you're just like, putting oh, on. that's what that was. You just yeah. hear a new thing in the background. You know, like, uh, that's what I want. Something I was noticing about your work, like, one of those types of things where, I, you know, somebody's sort of putting their own perspective on something. Uh, was that there in some of the works there seemed to be like a focus that wouldn't be the normal focus so I, I was thinking about like autism and Asperger syndrome and I, I I don't know if you're familiar with how the like the functioning of those disorders but I'd watched this this documentary and they were the one of the guys were talking about the the type of focus that people with Asperger's or autism have, you know, where if you and I, even though we're not speaking face-to-face now, but if we were having a conversation, we'd look at our facial expressions, we would have an interaction with our you know, body language, where a lot of times um, autistic people or, or Asperger's, they'll totally focus on something different than what most of the rest of society would. So, for instance they would miss the the cues of, a, of an argument happening in front of them because they're hyper-focused on the clock spinning in the background yeah. or something. Well, like, I know the one, the only, like, exposure I've had to uh, autism and art is there's, like, I got a letter once. I was in this British magazine called Graphic that just put, like, you know, ten of my paintings in a small interview in it. Uh-huh. And I got this letter from England that this from his dad who was, like, my son... I bought that magazine and my son's autistic and he, he loves your art just keeps redrawing it like he would just take these like a ballpoint pen and kind of make drawings after looking at my work Yeah. and then they yeah. just sent them to me and they were just they were rad they were just these like abstract line drawings and he was like I don't know what it is about your art but like he looked, he looked we look at art all the time through books and stuff and he just like fixated on what on your stuff for some reason yeah how weird I mean, I always, to me, there's always, like, you miss a lot of stuff the way you, you know, the way your brain works, you're always kind of editing, uh-huh. and so I try, I want to, like, look at, I want to just look at something specifically, and be like, what about that small thing? What is, the, is there something, I want to try to find, like, is there something more interesting in something that you may not think of is interesting? Yeah, and that's sort of the, what I was thinking about, like, in some of the figurative work, like, there's a, a focus where, you know, most people would have a focus on the face and the that form. I always yeah. notice that there's almost, like, a, a focus just below that, like, around the neck seems to be 
a yeah. spot or just like off kilter, which uh, like creates a a sort of uneasiness. But there's like like I said, there's an aesthetic quality to it that's also soothing. You know. Well, I, I really, I mean, I'm really fascinated with discomfort. You know, yeah. I know I'm not like a comfortable feeling person. Like yeah. I always feel a little, I always feel like a little uncomfortable, a little nervous, a little tension. Yeah, just tension or just like you know, I don't feel necessarily safe or like relaxed when yeah. I'm around a lot of people or just people in general. And so it's like you never, I never end up making like full blown eye contact with a lot of people. So it's like, where do I end up looking? And also those, like, the other places I've always had a sense of, like, those to me are, like, where you can actually judge what a person is. Their face, everyone's so concerned with their face, they're all they're almost about, like, creating an artifice with their face because they know what everyone wants. You want, like, the best-looking face possible. So everyone's trying to do the same thing where it's, like, the other parts of their clothing or their bodies or what the way they do that is almost, like, more informative. It's like you can... A person's clothing is one thing, but, like, you can always tell what kind of person someone is by, like, their sneakers yeah. or, like, their shoes. Because, like, you you have less pairs of shoes. So your shoes are more indicative of what your lifestyle is than, like, a, sh- a cheap shirt or, my, like, jeans uh, or whatever. My shoes you have holes people, like, take out, like, their, their shirt, their pants, and then you get to the shoes, you're like, oh, you don't mean that shit. Like, you look, I can tell you haven't invested all the way to the shoes yet. Dang, man. Just the way someone, do they... Do they wear a button-down collar and don't button it down, or do they button it down? Like, all those things, to me, are actually really informative of what, like, a person actually is. The kind of watch they wear, do they wear a bracelet, how they comb their hair, like, does there, like, I always really notice, like, a dude who has, like, maybe he's going a bald a little bit, but not a lot, but he'll, like, comb the side just over a little, but that tells you, like, that guy's a little concerned about, like, aging. Like, I noticed, like, even though he's... yeah not playing balls like he cares but like why does he care because I noticed that a lot of it has to do with stuff I do like I'm concerned with how I look or how people perceive me so like I notice that stuff in other people like you do the same thing I do you're freaked out about this you're worried about looking like this it's all those like little cues that I think actually tell you what someone's what someone's afraid of really yeah sure sure and it's, it's almost, uh, do you feel like you get a little too wrapped up in the observation? Or- yeah, I mean, I've, I've talked a lot about this with, like, my therapist and stuff. Like, I'm, I find that I'm, I spend more time observing life than actually living it. Like, yeah. I'm really happy to be, or more comfortable to be in a room watching how other people act than participating in any way. You know, it's so strange. Like, do you feel like maybe that's like the creative mindset comes out of that observer standpoint? It seems I mean, like it it's does, relevant. It, I feel like that's where I get stand-up jokes. I, that's where I get ideas for art. That's where I get things to steal if I'm acting. Like, I want that to me is like ammo. And yeah. it, to me, like how I'm going to react in a social situation is almost so predictable that it's not necessary to me. It's easy for me to show up to a situation and be like, all right, I know how this is going to go. I know what I'm, I know what's going to happen or what I'm going to get from this situation. It's more interesting to me to watch how people react in situations and sort of learn about humans and like the human condition. Like that's more fascinating than like what I would say to the people. I know what I would say. I, you know, I got like 10 moves, like 11 jokes or some bullshit. I know how I deal 
Right. So like, I would much rather I I find myself wanting to watch life. Do you find do you do, it. do you think that that has some correlation to like that sort of uncomfortableness in crowds? Like, it's almost. Do do you think it's like you know that you're uh, you're so observant that that it's likely that you're under somebody else's spotlight being observed? I I mean I feel like no one I feel like to a certain degree people don't see me. If someone says they notice me being a certain way, I'm always sort of surprised because I feel like in a situation I'm pretty like hidden in plain sight. Yeah, you know, like I kind of just get I rarely am in those situations, but. When I am, I feel like I'm just sort of, I'm there, but I'm not like, I'm a quiet person for the most part in public, so I'm not, you're not going to notice me right away. If I meet a stranger, I'm just basically polite. You know, I meet them, I try to be polite. I'm not, I need to figure out when I meet somebody, like, where the lines are. Because as a comic, I could say a ton of things that could, like, offend somebody I don't know them <laughs> sure. so I always have to figure out like okay where's the line with these people what's acceptable I don't because you know even though I'm not like afraid of offending people it's not necessarily something I want to do because sure. then I gotta deal with you afterwards yeah. you gotta discuss it and you're offended and why and blah 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 so do, do you hang out with mostly comics then? yeah comics and artists yeah or other actors it's like people that you people can break like balls with, with. Yeah, I mean, comics, I probably feel the most comfortable with comics. And, I mean, comics and artists, I feel the most comfortable with. Because they just, you know, they were similar. Yeah, it's, it's a lot alike, right? It's super similar. I mean, I it's actually, in college, when I first started doing stuff, I was talking to Rob Clayton about it, and he was like, it's very similar. Being a character actor, being a comedian, being it's very similar being an illustrator and artist. You kind of get known for doing a particular thing. People come to you for that thing, and if you get successful, you're kind of, it's your obligation to make more of that thing and then change and evolve. It's really similar. It's, it's a lot of you alone thinking of things to do and say and make. <laughs> yeah, right? That's just the, the slight difference there is the the presentation. Yeah, I mean, to me, the dude I mentioned, Jason Holly, like, he's in a band, and he's also a fine artist and an illustrator. We're in class once, and he was like, you know, when I get an idea... I can do a few things with it. I could write a song. I could do a fine art piece. I could use it as an illustration. It's just like an idea. And I've always sort of felt the same way. Like, I don't... They're all just like ideas. Like, what what medium is this idea the most appropriate for? Yeah. You know, like, jokes can't be ambiguous for the most part. You need a hard punchline at the end because you want to get a laugh. Yeah. So an ambiguous idea is more well-suited for fine art. Or like a one-liner can be... You can do a visual one-liner, like a visual pun, or that can be like a short joke. Well, I don't like really writing short jokes. I like trying to write things that are a little longer. So if I think of a, a hot one-liner, that's either going to be a tweet or that's going to be you know, perfect for an illustration idea. <laughs> well, how, how weird is that? That was something I wanted to talk to you about since you're, you're involved in all these different facets. Uh, yeah. Have you noticed how different it is with social media for comedians in, in comparison in, in actors too in comparison to visual artists how the, there isn't as much of a connect it's different I mean yeah you don't particularly with Twitter to follow an artist on Twitter I mean I follow Raymond Pettibone just cause that dude's the shit yeah and he's you know he gets real political on there uh huh and, and so I'm I'm really interested in him and what he's talking about 
lot slower. That's a lot, also that's what appeals to me about it is there's such, you have so much more time. I mean, I took years off of showing in galleries because I stopped liking what I was making and I was like, I'm just going to stop for a while and yeah. kind of think about what I really want to do here. And it's like, no one's like, where were you? You can fucking stop for as long as you want, really. As long as you come back with a lot of good work, they're there for, you know, that people are down to see it. Yeah. But I did notice that, you know, it's a lot easier now to have people see your work. Sure. I mean, more people see my work on Instagram than they do on my website. Just because they're, fine art is a very small pool. I mean, if you're in a, think of a really good fine art gallery, like, you know, think of a gallery like Blum and Poe or China Art Objects or something, and mm-hmm. you go to an opening at one of those galleries, not a ton of people there, but the, it's a small pool of people that are sort of important. Right. But like with any kind of social media, if, if you can get your work in front of a lot more people, and that's like really appealing to me. That you can just, I can do a drawing and I can take a picture of my phone and I can have you know, a few hundred people see it almost immediately. Yeah, and right. some of those people are art directors, some of those people are fine artists, and some of those people are gallerists. And it, everything's gotten easier. But it just depends on what, how you want to use it. You do have to be more careful because once it's out there, it's out there forever. Right. Which is kind I mean, of the point. Up, as an artist drawing, it's there forever. Yeah. I think that, I feel like, I, you know, from my perspective, that's kind of been the point of putting everything out there. Like, you you make it and put it out for it to be forever, kind of. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, think, some of it you cringe. Like, I see old work. Oh, there's so much you know, that makes me die. Yeah, I mean, people are all, and you know, you feel, I love your old work. And you look what they're looking at, you're like, oh, dear God. Like, I, was, I hung out with this, you know, I met this girl, and, uh, you know, I gave her the Broken Wrist Project book. She was into art. And she was like, your work is so different. And it, I, for, I even forgot my work was in those books. I was like, oh, God. Oh, yeah, that right? Work is, that work is straight up 11 years old. Maybe even more. I was in... I mean, um, if you put the, the spread Jeff Soto did, if you put that in front of him, he'd probably bang his head against the wall. Yeah, and then I, it's it's got to be universal. Oh, for sure. You just... I mean, to me, that's what... If you're, like, a legitimately creative person, you really... And, you know, you, you don't care about what you just made, really. Why are you... What Like, the only... That's what I notice as I get older is the only part you can count on enjoying is the making of stuff, the kind of process. Yeah. That's I, why I feel like people's work almost, like, tightens up and gets more labor-intensive as they get older, is because you realize that's the part you enjoy. Yeah. Everything else, it, you know, can be fake. People's reaction to the work at a gallery, they can be bullshitting you. Yeah. I feel the same way about stand-up, where, like, I don't need you to come up to me after my set. I need you, like, I, the last during my set is the only part I can trust. That's the only part <laughs> yeah. I know, because you can't control that. Yeah. But, like, people come up to you like, dude, you were so great. I don't know if you mean that. You could be fucking lying. You're drunk. First of all, you're drunk. Yeah. So, I don't know what you mean or what you don't mean, but, like, a laugh, laughing is sort of, it's, you don't, you can't control it. It's a reaction. Yeah, there's, like, those social rules that we're supposed to, you know, act a certain way around each other. And it has a tendency to seem less, uh, uh, what's the word? You know, less true, less. I can't think of the word. Then. Anyway, what's the fucking goddamn word? The process of making stuff is like that. Sincere. Goddamn, I don't know why I couldn't remember sincere. No sincere. Yeah. Sincere. No, but right. that I mean, you know what it is to make stuff. 
that's the best part is the scissors sitting there and making stuff and like not knowing something was going to come out the way it did and like being surprised and just being like oh man i like this when you make something you like that's hard to beat dude yeah and that's, you do a new joke that and it works it's, it's hard to beat that stuff yeah for sure and you you know what like what you said about creative types like i talk about it a lot this is it's the process that's all the reward and everything that comes after is really all profit but like yeah it's weird for me to hear artists who like want to keep the stuff that they make you know yeah. as if it gives them something like like they have some sort of attachment and it, from what you said it feels like more of the attachment comes to the creative processes that you go through to make a piece the only things I find myself wanting to keep are ones that are that were weird for what I was doing. Where I'm <laughs> like, that one kind of came out of nowhere. I'm like, what? I don't even know what I was thinking when I did that. And, it, and I'm almost like, I'm, I don't need more of that shit. So I kind of keep it around to just teach as you? like a thing. Because it was like maybe out of left field. And it was like the one nobody liked, but like I liked. And I'm like, why, did I, why do I like this one so much and nobody liked it? Yeah. Like, what is going on here? Like, that usually is, like, the area. I also have this aversion. Like, once people start really liking something, I just stop doing it. Yeah, how messed up is like, that? I, I had this, like, show years ago at, at Richard Heller Gallery at Bergamot Station. And at the time, I was doing these, like, Hollywood signs, which is saying, oh, I'm so kind of like the Hollywood sign. It would just say stuff like, please don't touch me. Yeah. And people loved them. They just <laughs> bought them all. And he was like, you should make those bigger. And I was like, in my head, I was like, nah, I'm never making another one again. <laughs> like, because I thought I was like, do I want to be the saying dude? Yeah. Like, the dude that just writes blurbs. Like, I was like, I don't know, man. It's so, it's hard to, I feel like it's so difficult to try to make similar pieces like that, like, over and over again. Like, wh- just having that intention of, all right, I'm going to make another word painting. I admire those people that fixate on something for that long. As long as they're enjoying it, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, some people's work stays the same a long time, and part of me is like, dude, I love, I'm into like you loving it that much. I'm, I'm almost unlucky that I am not like that. I'd be more successful if I was. That, I feel you know, like people, I have the same issue. People like, you know, that's how they know your work. Like, oh, you're the guy that does that thing. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I don't know. Uh, to me, I just like, I mean, there's so much interesting stuff, and I just want to be interested all the time. So what, do, you, the, do, you, do you see your stuff going in, in new directions? I, I mean, you said you you took some time off from showing in galleries, and you've been acting a lot. I, I see you uh, on television shows. You pop up in weird commercials all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. You do movies, too? I haven't done. Oh, actually, that's not true. I just did an independent film with that comic Sean Patton, uh-huh. and uh, yeah, it's like a like a murder like a murder comedy. <laughs> Is that kind? Of, are you putting your focus towards that in in your stand up more than? I don't. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't aim my focus at any one thing at a time. Yeah, I really like I actively try not to because it's more fun to always be doing like a, like a couple weeks ago I had like I did an illustration job that I got money for I got paid to write jokes I had like a lot of stand up that week and an acting job and I was like this week rules <laughs> nice like this is like I can't like when I think about what I thought I would be allowed to do when I was young 
the fact that I get to do this stuff and like for money and that's my life is so ideal I'm never bored ever yeah, and I that's... don't I mean even if I focused primarily on one thing there's no way I wouldn't like they're all they really are so similar it's like you comedians writing comedians doing podcasts comedians acting you know they all turn into the same thing yeah. it's all just sort of performing in different ways and like to me art is the same thing like it routinely what I'm thinking about artistically is similar-ish to what I'm thinking about in stand-up because it's like you know in stand-up you try to think of like broad societal structures or mm -hmm. personal you know, how, what you're going through personally you're trying to interpret your own feelings into into jokes and bits and that's what I try to do when I make art so it's all it all kind of blends into each other that's, that's I mean, I don't find myself drawing while I'm writing a joke but it's like I'll spend all day writing jokes and then at the end of the day I almost like feel like alright I'll spend all day writing jokes and then it's halfway through the day I'll stop and then it's our time and do you, you find earn the right to do other things you know yeah do you find that you're able you know I think for some people uh, maybe doing three different things like that may be overwhelming for some people are you are you the type that has been able to, are you able to juggle multiple tasks at once or, you know? I am. I mean, there's definitely times where I've gotten too much. I have my, I don't say no to stuff that well, especially with my friends. And I, I'll, there's always like a few times a year I where you I get, get this overwhelmed. Show. And it's just like I'm going from like a set where I'm there for 12 hours and then I got to rush home and finish an illustration and like, you know, stay up all night. There's, there's always those situations, but when I'm going through it, I'm like, this is grueling, but I always feel sort of proud of myself when, like, two days later, I'm like, I did all those things well. Yeah. And that's like, the key, right? Really, that, I mean, I'm a lucky dude, to be honest with you. That's, I'm a lucky dude to be able to do these things. Yeah. Like, I've, I'm, my whole life, I've, I've always had a sense of, like, what I kind of wanted to do, and most people, most people have a hard time figuring it out, and I, you know, I never had that problem. It's, it's unbelievably... People that get to make art and be creative, we're real lucky, you know? Yeah, for sure. In multiple ways. Like if you ways. don't know that, you're just going to be kind of miserable. Yeah, and it's, it's good to keep that humble aspect, too. What just makes you want to work. Like, you know, you just, like, especially you see people, I remember being in school and just seeing what dudes around me were doing, and it was just like, the guys that are excited are making the coolest stuff. Yeah. It was just exciting to be around. You saw, like, the, the good teachers were were influenced by the good students, and it made every everyone was just like, you're all kind of the same. That's what I liked about going to art schools. You were surrounded by people that were sort of similar to you. You're like, oh, we're all just trying really hard to be good at this thing, whatever that is. Do you get that same feeling hanging out in comedy clubs? Totally. Yeah. The same thing. It's, you know, the comics are, comedians are great. There's nothing like, there's there's few things as good as hanging out with comics. You're just all trying to, like, figure stuff out. You're basically, any good comedian is just looking at life and being like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. You're all trying to just figure it out. You're all kind of around each other. And you all give, comics give most, give their friends and most people a real benefit of the doubt. Like, you're real empathetic yeah. in what people go through. Because you're all, you know, most comedians are a little messed up, but you kind of, look at each other like, yeah, you're messed up, and I messed up, you kind of, you're, we're pretty forgiving, you know? Yeah. I've started we don't to... sound forgiving, because we sound like dicks. <laughs> like, 
We are. Like, you get, you, you'll give a lot of leeway. Most comics will give you a lot of leeway to do a lot of shit and be like, all right, you're fine now. Welcome back. Yeah. You just, you know, you did that thing for a little while. Yeah. I found that uh, I've become more interested in, like, hanging out with comedians and artists, like, even a little bit more than the work that they make. Yeah. Not to put it down, but, like, like hanging out with a group of artists is sometimes more fun than painting a mural with a group of artists. Like, even though the work is cool, like, yeah. being able to sit down and, like, hang out and shoot the shit and drink some beers or, you know, whatever. A lot of times the work is, like, kind of... The work's just the byproduct of, like... <laughs> yeah. The thought process. I mean, you know, a lot of people, that's their problem with fine art and people using assistance and stuff. But the work is really just, like, the end. It's the end. Whereas, like, the getting into it and the thinking about it, that's where the real... Coming up with the idea, to me, coming up with a good idea, right? I've come up with a lot of ideas. I've come up with a handful of good ones. Coming up with a good one is like, it's fucking hard as hell, or it was like a lightning strike, and you don't know where it came from. It's like a junkie trying to chase a fix, trying to find yeah, a good idea. Yeah, you're just like, again. how did that shit happen, and how do I make it happen again? Yeah. And then the execution of it is just the execution of it. That's just your skill set and the way you choose to make things look. Yeah, right. It's a little less of like a, it's a little less electric, you know? Yeah. Well, let's um, let's plug your, your interwebs and um, all your stuff. Do you got any shows coming up that, uh, comedy or uh, otherwise? I have comedy shows. I'm at, like, at Public House. But tonight, no one will know about that. This won't hit the air in time. <laughs> uh, every Sunday I have a show in Santa Monica at the Westside Comedy Theater. And I'm going to be, I think I'm doing Marin's podcast in a month. Nice. I used to have been seeing you guys talk back and forth about um, about Coop a bunch lately. Yeah. I mean, I Marin's friends with Coop. And Did I you was, hear that you know, podcast with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a great one. I, I listened yeah. to that while painting a mural. It was fucking, it was really good. Well, I was, you know, growing up in L.A. in the, you know, late 80s and 90s, you knew who Coop was. Yeah. And that dude, that, that's probably the first guy that I looked at and was like, oh, that's line quality. And also, like, you learn how to draw kits. You know, you're just like, that shit, like, why is that drawing hot as fuck? <laughs> you know? and, and just, like, I always, I really admire artists that create their own genre and, like, their own little business and little world. And people come, like, you know what you're going to get with Coop. Like, you're like, oh, we need this thing? Coop. <laughs> and that dude feels like, I look, I follow him on Instagram, and, like, I, I a handful of times get, like, type jobs where I have to do hand-drawn type, which if you've ever done hand-drawn type, it is a bitch. It's way harder. Doing, like, tight type work is way harder than drawing people. Oh, fuck And yeah. I was on his Instagram, and he did some band logo, and I was looking at it up close, and I was like, holy shit. Like, that dude can draw his ass off. And it's just, like, warm-up sketches are bad, and he's just, I, I really admire people that just created, their, just kind of made their own lane. Like, can you imagine in art school, like, a guy like Coop telling some uptight professor, like, I'm going to make topless devil girls. <laughs> yeah, big asses. Yeah, they're going to have huge asses. They're going to be red. They're, the most famous ones are going to be two girls going down to each other. And it's going to be real popular. It's like, you're a moron. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, you right there in that center, that L.A. scene, like, that whole car culture, the... The, like the yeah, I mean, that, that, early on, that was school. a huge influence because that was like where you went and the Clayton brothers were in that yeah. area 
Like, that's where you found the Clayton brothers and people like that, and that, that was the cool stuff to do. You went and saw those places. Those were the galleries yeah. that you went to, and so those were the people you were aware of. Robert Williams and people like that, and his wife. Robert Williams' wife, by the way, great abstract painting. Really? You can't really hard to find it, but that lady ruled. Yeah, man. I those were like the people that you just kind of were aware of. Those were the famous artists at the time around here. You just went, you know, you kind of hung out, and that's where they were accessible. You could get, you know, you could go meet Coop if you want. You could meet Robert Williams. Yeah. Do you think that yeah. those things are going to continue? Like, it feels like the internet kind of has killed those types of movement. I don't know if killed, maybe killed is a bad way to it describe it. It speeds them up so that it's, they're, it's hard, they get hard to sustain because everything yeah. is so sped up that if there's not tons and tons and tons of energy behind it and work, it can just, it kind of fall apart kind of quick. Yeah. The thing about the, getting your work out there, is you can get it out fast, but like, you better have a ton of it. Like, I don't, you know, when I start putting stuff on my Instagram, that stuff I call from the box, it's because I have a couple hundred of those. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right, I can throw up one of these a day or two a day, and I've got plenty. Yeah. But like, you start running low, you're like, shit. I gotta make a bunch more stuff because people, you know, that's the norm. They expect it. Like, oh, this guy puts up two drawings a day. It's the same with my Twitter. Like, I put up ten jokes a day probably. So I need to write jokes and to come up with things. It, you, it, it makes you, you can benefit from the social media stuff, but you have to work hard to benefit from it. Sure. Because you need product. You need to make stuff. I mean, look at Jess Otto put out a print, like, what, every few months? A couple months? Yeah. You know, because the people are ready for it. And you can, you know, because of the way it works, you can be selling them to the, literally the entire world. Yeah, that's the way it's going. Like, I I think that I saw there was some, I forget, it was like, it may have been the Huffington Post about, uh, like, six trends in the, the art world in 2013. Like, what some specific person thought the trends were going to be. And one of them was this aspect of, of artists really just representing themselves. Yeah. You know, and collaborating with different spaces and things, but not, like, as much representation. It seems well, like gallerists, it's... gallerists can... They, they've almost had, like, too much power. Gallery can have, what, 12 shows a year? Yeah. So that's pretty limited. Right. And they take a big chunk, and I think once an artist gets really famous, they're like, why am I giving you half? Half's a lot. Yeah. And you can get, I mean, there's tons of artists that make, that do well without any of that stuff. They just, they have their own, you get to them on your own. Mark Ryden did well forever, and the galleries don't do work for that dude. That dude got famous on his own. Yeah. Whether or not you love his work or not, like, that guy created his own market. He, it's nice to have a gallery so they can, like, people can show up to a big, beautiful room and look at all the work. Sure. But it's not, first for... for groups of artists it's not terribly necessary yeah and, and even you know i feel like a lot of times that's the performance aspect of art like when you get into a space and yeah. the thing is is really there's a lot of spaces available you know it, yeah. it doesn't have to be this one white box well that's what like when we first started broken wrist project we were just like let's just do shows places there's all these empty spots downtown these places like let's just go have a show like I, that, I, that's the thing at the time I was like I know these a bunch of artists that I think are pretty great and I want people to know who they are like I don't want to waste this group so why can't we let's make something that kind of tells people who they are you know I wanted people 
I didn't even know like an artist like Ashley Maycomber. I met her at a gala. I went to New Image Art, and I was just like, who the hell is this? This lady rules. And like, where is she? And I just like, care about like, I'm making a book, and you're going to be in it. Yeah, I've been following her work for a long time. She's the best, dude. She's one of my favorite artists, hands down. I tried to get her on the show, like, probably, like, a year ago. But then I heard her on Ari's podcast, and it was, like, huh. it was so funny and sweet and, like, to the point that, yeah. like, I didn't even try to, to get her on again just because it's I mean, like, she's part of my, like, she's part of the artist I hang out with the most. Yeah. I don't know her personally, but I've followed her work for at least since 99, 2000. I mean, she's how I, you know, got in contact with Ed Templeton and how I, like, got to know him and, like, get to do stuff with him and for Toy Machine and stuff. Did you go to his show? He just was on the podcast a couple episodes ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How was, uh, did you go to the opening? Yeah, it was rad. Did you see the girl jump roping? No, I left before that one. (laughs) I went real early. That's the best way to do it. Art openings are such a pain in the ass. Well, his are, you know, he's so, he's so, that dude has such rabid fans. Like, the book signing, so it's like book signing from 5 to 6. Like, no, it's going to be 5 to 7.30. <laughs> yeah. Roll, he draws something in every single thing. It takes forever. Yeah, he's rad. I've been following his stuff for a long time, too. It was, it was cool I mean, to get him on the show. Like, getting the, the, that dude, like, becoming my friend, it just feels weird. Like, I, I want someone, like, you realize, like, when I was young, I started wearing brown dickies because I saw you in, like, 411, number yeah. 30. I did, <laughs> like, a, I did a mural with him and um, Steve Caballero. Mm-hmm. And I, like... I would have I passed out. I well, get the, Steve Caballero, he was just sort of... I think he had been painting for a while, but he didn't have all his, like, technical stuff down. And uh, I gave him, like, a tip to make his outlines a little bit smoother. Just had, yeah. had him add some Indian ink to the to his black mix to make it a little bit more fluid and smooth and gave him a brush or something to use. And from that point on, we sort of built a relationship. We became friends or whatever, which I haven't talked to him in a long time. But it felt weird. Like, I was like, you know, I used to wear your shoes when I was, like, in yeah. third grade. And now I'm going to... I went you to... Uh, they had this thing on Fairfax. It was Aaron Rose, like, basically had a garage sale of all the stuff he's amassed over the years, like all the zines and shit. It was awesome. But I went with Ed and Deanna, and we, like, walked in the back, like, came in, like, a back door. And I walk in, and, like, it was, like, Ray Barbie, Tommy Guerrero, and Nottis Coppice were all standing next to each other. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I forget that I walked in with Ed Templeton, who's, like, skate legend. And so they're all like, hey, Ed. And so I'm standing next to him while he's talking to them. And so I sort of meet them, and I was like, I'm going to barf. <laughs> this is so crazy. I can't even, like, you realize I've owned every one of your skateboards. I've bought your t-shirts. Like, I may pass out, dude. <laughs> like, it was just too much. I couldn't even handle it. You see these people are just like, dude, you don't understand how much time I spent fixating on your graphics and just, like, your skating and stuff. Like, it's craziness. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. I'm doing graphics for Toy Machine right now. And when they're done and they hand me the boards, I'm probably going to cry. Yeah, you should cry. Yeah. <laughs> I was explaining to someone last night, this comic, Greg Fitzsimmons, and I was like, when I was young, there was nothing cooler you could put a drawing on than a skateboard. No, of course. I mean, I, I got that Bones Brigade documentary, and they re-released the decks, and I got the Tommy Guerrero deck, and when it showed up in the mail, I just held it and stared at it like, this is, this is an object. Yeah. One of the greatest, I like, just look at you, like, this is so beautiful and, like, rad looking at the same time and you can ride it like 
the notion that like I like that I'll be handed decks that I drew that say toy machine on it, I'll, I'll I won't even be able to. I told him, like I'm gonna cry and it's gonna get weird. So get your, <laughs> your, get your pervy ass camera out and take pictures of me weeping. That's great. When are they gonna? When are those gonna come out? I just finished the like black line art, so I need to learn Illustrator, <laughs> which I don't know. And uh, so I'm gonna come. They'll be out this year though. Here's the trick. Uh, hopefully, in, like the next six months. Get, um, hold on, let me pull the program up. Just do as clean of outline as you can. Yeah. Like, as sharp and crisp as possible. And then right. use, um, Vector Magic. It's a, just like a program that you could download. Okay. And it'll vectorize the whole thing for you. And it'll be right. super easy to illustrate. You'll be just, like, click and do whatever you need to do for Illustrator. Okay, cool. I can learn that shit. It's cool. I was over there in, like, a weird disconnect for Illustrator's work yeah but you know what there's something there's something to be said about having handmade work I mean the people that hire me a lot of times like especially for type they like the fact that I you know I try to make it as perfect as possible but if you get up close and look at it and you can tell a human sat there and tried to do it just the tiny tiny imperfections are the stuff they sort of like so I mean that's how I like to work I just you know definitely when you when you like actually paint the color in for a skate deck, it looks dumb. Yeah, it's like, it's it hard. Be, it's hard it to needs to be that flat graphic. Like I want it to look like you know '80s skate graphics, like Jim Phillips, V.C. Johnson, yeah. those people, Cliver. Yeah, there's that weird um, like separation from what the color looks like. It's on the surface, or it looks like it's behind like a hazy like window or something. Yeah, it looks blurry. Yeah. It's too hard, it's hard when, to replicate. When Ultra Slick decks came out in the 90s, like, ugh, that was like garbage. It's, um, but sometimes, you know, there's some photographers that can do some magic to make that shit Yeah, work. the photograph stuff works. Yeah. It's hard to translate if it's not the vector. Same with t-shirt designs, too. But there's a lot of different, yeah. there's a lot of it different stuff going on. It needs to be green Like, four-color process is great, but it's not the same. Like, I need to, it needs to, like, you gotta feel it. It's gotta, like, stand up off the shirt. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Need some ridge. Yeah, like that, like that, you know, old skate deck, like this Tommy Guerrero deck, you, the ink sits on top of the wood. Yeah, like, you can see the... part of what makes it so great. You're just like, I can fucking feel this right now. That's what's cool about... It stands up. Screen, print, screen printed art has that same quality to it, like, that's different from, yeah. like, a digital print or something. I mean, I know it's more expensive, but, like, those old Santa Cruz decks, those Jim Phillips decks that were, you know, it was just tons and tons and tons of dots and, like, tons of color separations, those things are beautiful. Yeah. Like, they're some of the, those to me, those are just screen-printed art. They're state-of-the-art screen-printing. Like, they're unbelievably well-made and were well-executed and it took a ton of time. Like, those drawings... The original, like, slime ball drawing of the graphic, it was huge. They did huge drawings and shrunk them down. So they're just, like, perfect. They're so perfected. Yeah, and that's the way they had to do it. Like, And, you know, it's so it was so influential for pe- people our age and before and, you know, after. Like, the skate in, skate surf industry. It's been, I guess yeah. particularly for people on the West Coast. Like, it, it that, seems like... That it, whole mission school movement out of San Francisco... You know, Chris Johansson and Barry McGee, Margaret Kilgallen, Alicia McCarthy, like, they, you can see that, like, there a lot of, all, most of them were painting on wood, the paint, the paint was thick, it was standing up, 
you know, they, a lot of them had were influenced by sign painting, which is, you know, some of that screen printed, but it was about, like, it was just very direct. Like, the paintings weren't, the, the images weren't hidden within canvas necessarily. They, they stood up, like, Barry McGee's line quality stands up. It stands off, the, like, a, when you paint the bottle or, like, it sits on top. Like, that to me is just, like, that's 80s skate graphic, like, standing up off a board. Yeah, it all relates. So it's all a, a direct lineage, it seems like. Yeah, and I, I don't, I, it might not have even been conscious. No, like, yeah, I, totally, totally, yeah. Like a natural progression. I, I was in college, and I remember being in class, and we were talking about illustration with a teacher, and I was like, I feel like a good illustration makes a good sticker. Yeah. It just grabs you, and you're like, I want that. <laughs> like a, you know, old slime ball sticker is screaming hands, and you're like, give me that. That rule. <laughs> yeah, you don't Either even know why. Like I want that. I'm, just, I'm not even gonna stick it on anything. I'm just gonna hold it and look at it. That's when I was a kid. Um, I managed somehow to get like a full uncut sheet of um, a bunch of New Deal stickers. Yeah. Like from when they first started, and I wish I, I probably have it in one of the boxes somewhere. I drew that logo so many times, and I, you know, I didn't know that. Like, I was young, so I didn't know that. Like, to make that like crunchy looking line you just get like a huge piece of charcoal or like a you know a dry brush or whatever uh-huh. so i would just sit there and try to like meticulously draw <laughs> yeah a paint you know paint with like little holes and flex in it like i'd understand how you did that so i'm just sitting there with like a ballpoint pen trying to make it look like really messy ink not knowing how like andy howell did that or whatever yeah. that logo the spray paint new deal logo was a spray can i, I probably drew that 200 times <laughs> Like this is so cool. I don't even. I don't know why it's cool. I live in the white suburbs. Like, why do I want to draw a spray paint can this bad? I th- and that's the sign, like that somebody's going to end up an artist. Like, all right, I'm. You know, it's and it doesn't even. You know, it have to be like an illustrative thing. Like just finding problems and then figuring out the solution is a very artistic mindset. Like it feels like each painting is always like, okay, here's this new puzzle to put together, and there's all these problems that come up that you have to try to work your way around, dodge and weave, yeah. until you come to there, a well, solution. There's that dude, he was like, just doing drawing like the 18th century. I think his last name is Dore, D-O-R-E. And he looked at etchings and thought people were drawing them, but he thought they were pen and ink drawing. So he learned how to draw that with that same line quality and line work with just a damn pen. Yeah. Not knowing they were etchings. Yeah. But some dude was like scraping it out and then flipping it and like printing it. So this dude learned how to draw that way. So the drawings are crazy. Like it's a master and it was, and, but he just didn't know any better. He was like, oh, someone learned how to draw these tiny, like millions of tiny lines. So I'm going to draw like that. And that's sort of how sometimes I think people's styles come about. Like finding totally. out, like sort of doing things the wrong way. You know? Well, okay, you know Taylor McKimmon's work? Yeah, uh... Yeah, uh, a full-blown genius, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting well, ready he, for a show in Italy, right? Yeah, yeah. He rules. I went, he was, I was in college with him at the same time. Well, he grew up on a damn Indian reservation. Like, a near one. There was no art supplies. He learned how to paint. The, the process was he would take, like, markers, like, kind of ad markers, and draw, and then he'd paint white out over the top of them, and then smear it with his fingers. Nice. He showed, he did an album cover for a band using whiteout markers, and it looks like a, an acrylic rendering or an oil rendering. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So that dude's 
bizarre skill set when he got to school, he could just crush any other medium because it was all easy to him. Yeah. And then you kind of see it now, the way he works now, it's so direct, but like, he's crazy drawing ability, first of all. But like, the way, the way kind of he lets like, colors maybe move out of where they're supposed to be and kind of sit in the wrong place. And that to me is like, speaks to like, what it was like painting with a whiteout brush. Yeah. Like, that guy just made the best, he like learned with what he had around. And he was so talented, he like, figured he'd master whatever technique he would make him look how he wanted to, but like, that guy didn't have art supplies for a long time. Yeah. So he shows up, I mean, that guy showed up, he told me, he only know, knew two artists when he got to art school, Norman Rockwell and Andy Warhol. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he didn't know, he thought he was going to just be a strict illustra- illustrator. And he got to art school and just like, blew his mind, and then he just started, that guy started progressing so fast. Hey, it'd be cool to get him on the show, maybe you could put in a good word for me. I'll hit him up. He's always down to talk to people. Right. All right, brother. Well, I want to um, thank you again for taking the time to shoot the shit with me, dude. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. That's awesome. All right, brother. If uh, if we were on the internet, we would do internet daps right now, but we're on the phone, so just dap the air for me. What does that mean? Bang. You know, like knuckles, dap. Oh, dap. Does nobody okay. say, did, did it just sound like I said something? Do people use the word dap still? I know what it is. I wasn't sure that's what you meant. Hold on, man. Did it make a noise? Yeah, yeah, I got it. All right, brother. Thank you again, man. All right, thank you. I'll talk to you later. All right, thank you. There's sap in the trees if you tap them. There's blood on the seas if you map them. Papa, tell him I love him. He taught me to love in the wild and fight in a gym. He taught me the bottle gives birth to the cup. And you won't get hurt if you just keep your hands up. 